this is Martin Fowler, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. I am your host, Troy Lightfoot. And with me, I have a very special guest, uh, Mitch, Mitch Goldstein. Mitch, uh, hello. How are you doing? How are you doing, Troy? Good to see you here. Uh, good to see you. Mitch and I worked together uh, for a while at one client for about a year or so, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the, I would say, the privilege of working with Mitch. I learned quite a bit from him. And one of the things I learned from him is the subject. Uh, that we're going to be talking about today of dependency inversion. And we're not talking about software development here. So Mitch, before we get into that, why don't you just give a brief intro on yourself? All right. Well, I've been uh, an Agile coach for seven years, uh, working with Scaled Agile since the very beginning. Uh, I started off as a Scrum Master. I've been a product owner, and I've also uh, almost 40 years as a software developer interspersed with the, with the within there. So I've had a lot of experience doing the type of planning that needs to be done uh, for PI planning and safe. Yeah. And dependency is a big part of that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mitch. Thanks for the intro. So let's get right to it. Um, you and I were working uh, at a client, and like I mentioned, that was using safe as a framework. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when people are uh, standing up safe and they're going through these types of safe transformations or whatever you want to call it, one of the common things that we often see are dependencies, right? And in fact, it's right, it's built right into PI planning. You have to map out your dependencies with string and all these things that they, they teach you right. in the class, right? So, and that's all well and good. And, and even, you know, you showed me a cool technique for instead of using string, uh, you have a different technique, but that's maybe that's another podcast. But, right. uh, but, uh, but the point is not to just manage dependencies all the time, but it's, it's to figure out, you know, how do we remove them, right? And right. so you showed a technique, which I thought was really cool. Um, and it's based off of uh, dependency inversion. So right. would you mind sharing the background about that? How did you come up with it? What did you use it for? And, and wherever you right. go with it. Uh, first, thanks for having me on, Troy. You know, I really did enjoy our time together. And I learned an awful lot from you. Uh, you turned me on to your, uh, your Roman Pickler sort of approach mm, uh, to yeah, product yeah. management, which really changed the way that I think about it and it had a really profound influence on me. So I'm glad we had an opportunity to work together. Thank you. And um, amongst the problems or amongst the, the challenges of, of creating an agile release train is figuring out how to construe the teams. You know, how do you, do you uh, break all the teams apart and start from scratch? Do you uh, keep your existing teams and try to make them work? And one of the things that has to go into that discussion uh, when you make those decisions of how to organize teams is what's the, the flow of dependency amongst those teams. In other words, it would be phenomenally bad to organize teams, say, the way you organize teams on an assembly line, because that would necessitate a straight line synchronous value stream where you would have no opportunity to cheat up or no opportunity really to innovate uh, because you're doing everything very linear. 
So we know that software development is nonlinear. And the way we see that is when we look at dependencies broadly. Mm. So uh, the way in the PI planning event, which is touted as the central event of the safe methodology, as it were, right. uh, is when the teams get together and they review a number of features which have been identified and select those features and build plans with their teams over uh, t- traditionally two days, but now in the remote world, sometimes four or even five days worth of planning mm-hmm. um, in order to com- come up with a plan in which the work can be done and projected out uh, several sprints in advance. That That's kind of PI planning in a nutshell. Okay. And part of PI planning is figuring out how to get the work through most efficiently to, to get the most value to the customer you can to eliminate as much waste as possible, to have as few idle uh, operators as possible. And all these things are achieved by managing dependencies. And dependencies are when work is handed off from any entity to any other entity to take over responsibility for that work. Now, if we look at lean theory, lean theory will tell us that every time work gets handed off, we incur waste. And that's what we call carrying waste, communication waste. All these bits of waste uh, come in whenever we move work from one team to another. But we're not really going to focus on that. We're going to focus on the other aspect of dependency, which is dependency as it impacts the order in which your teams have to build things in order to achieve the minimal viable product that they're trying to build. Mm -hmm. And so my kind of thoughts about that are is when you have a lot of dependencies in an organization that dependencies always trump any other type of priority. Right. And that's kind of a mantra that, you know, when we were working with an organization that had a lot of team to team dependencies, we said, yeah, dependency, it doesn't matter how important something is. If there's something more important that needs to be done first, it, by virtue of it needing to be done first, it's more important than whatever it is you're you're trying to achieve. So yeah. when we go into a safe PI planning, we organize around a thing called the PI planning board. And we'll have to use our imaginations to see this, but it's a fairly simple thing. We have teams laid out horizontally. Uh, each team will have its own row. And vertically, we're going to lay out the sprints or team increments, of which there are typically four, but there are sometimes three or sometimes five or sometimes more in a program increment. So we do our program increment planning around it. And the vertical vertical columns are each uh, increment of work, each sprint or increment of work. Right. So the idea is, is that we take the the features that we're attempting to accomplish and we put those on the board when the features will be coming to completion. So if I have a feature that a team is going to bring in on the first sprint, then I put a sticky note or the electronic equivalent thereof um, into that and I intersect the team with the sprint so I know when that feature is going to be completed by that team. And that helps me figure out how to interleave the work between teams to ensure that the work gets done. Now, there's another part of this, which is that there's another, a third dimension. And that third dimension is the feature dependencies on each other. 
Mm-hmm. You can think of feature dependencies as and team dependencies being identical. And the PI planning board will represent that. The way that they teach you at SAFE, which is one of those things that looks great on paper, but when you actually try to do it, it doesn't look like it does, you know, in the pictures. Right. Um, when we actually tried to do it, they, they say, well, what we should do is take a piece of red yarn. And this, again, harkens back to the day when we did this on a whiteboard. Uh, take a piece of red yarn and connect two features, two sticky notes with features. Connect them with a piece of red yarn to show that those two features have a dependency relationship on each other. In other words, that one team must accomplish something. Uh, before another team can uh, can accomplish their work. And we do this with red string. And what you theoretically should have is a nice, beautiful diagram that elegantly shows when things will be complete. But what you have in reality is something that looks like a failed macrame project or perhaps something a rat would construct uh, to give birth. It is okay. not <laughs> workable. <laughs> it's It's just not workable. You end up with something that conveys no information at all, especially when you do it in a tool like a Miro or Mural, the whiteboarding type of remote tools, where we use kind of sticky notes that are represented by little rectangles on the screen, connect them by Bezier curves or something like that, and you end up with what looks like, again, a rat's nest. And the problem with that is, is it, it conveys a sense of risk to see a large number of dependencies on one of these program boards. Mm, okay. Yeah, I totally agree. Yep. I'm with you. And, so that, and the reason is, is because we call dependency an intrinsic risk, right? right? Whenever sense. I have a dependency, I always, what I'm saying really is that there's a risk that something ain't going to happen that ought to happen. And that if this does occur, it will potentially interrupt my team's work. Mm -hmm. So we take dependency very seriously. So what we do is we use what's called dependency inversion. And and this is a term that actually comes from object-oriented programming back in those days, where we used to have to organize objects into code modules that made sense. And the way you knew that they made sense was that if they didn't have this unhealthy sort of crisscrossing, and if there was good ownership of functionality, we made that code into a module. And we did dependency inversion to graph out what the connections of the modules were to each other so that we could see which were the biggest offenders in that kind of non-modular and needed to be refactored and modularized to as a kind of a low-hanging fruit to eliminate technical debt. So we would use a circle graph and have the modules on the edge of the circle graph and then have Bezier lines connecting them. And then you could see where all the code functionality was. Uh, Anything that didn't have a line connecting it didn't have any dependencies. Hmm. Things that had too many lines connected to it, well, they had an awful lot of dependencies. And it was a way not only for us to show what the dependency graph of modules were, but it was a way of understanding the impact of any change on the modularity of the system. If I went for something that had a lot of lines coming in and out of it, 
that would mean my integration testing better be rock solid and my regression testing better be rock solid because a lot of processing will depend on that module. So it is with work on a program board. We can think of dependencies the same way. If I look at my dependency board and I see this red rat's nest, and right away I'm going to think that, oh my God, this is a crisis. And the reason is, is because the metaphor really doesn't work. It's not pragmatic. So what we did was, is we still use the program board to show when the, um, when the features are coming in for landing. But what we do is we kind of tease the dependency information out of that board and we move it into a different place and we represent it in a different place. Uh, I don't I don't know how our friends at Scaled Agile think about this, but I can tell you that the red string thing is definitely something that needs to be discarded. It, it's a non it's a non mover. It just doesn't work. I've never seen it work, um, and I have some great pictures which I will cherish of these just absolutely incomprehensible snarls of spider webby looking that that convey <laughs> information. Okay. So we uh, we purify the program board by making it about uh, more like a uh, not like a Kanban board, but more like a traditional planning board where we might do a daily plan or a, a, a sprint by sprint plan, and to move the uh, dependency information to another board that's inverted. What we mean by inverted is is we just take the dependencies and we make the dependencies not the time the central information of the board. Mm. In the traditional program board, the x-axis, as it were, is time, right? We're going sprint one, sprint two, sprint three, sprint x. Right. What we do is we throw that out, just completely throw that out. And instead of thinking about time, we just draw in where the dependencies are between the teams for each um, horizontal row. Okay. So this is the. Sorry, Mitch. Are you talking about doing this vertically, or how? Right. So we we keep the teams. We keep the same horizontal rows for the teams, but we discard. We just completely get rid of the columns, and we make everything time agnostic, like a Kanban board is time agnostic. So all I have is just the same bands, horizontal bands across one for each team, and I'm going to move my stickers in there. So what will happen is I can use the string in such a way that will show me my inner inside team dependencies. In other words, when a feature depends on another feature within a team, and then each one that leaves that team lane shows that it is departing that team lane as well. The problem with that is you end up with the same kind of knots. So right. we go a further inversion and we eliminate the teams altogether. What we do is we make each feature color-coded by team. So we have no horizontal, no vertical. We just have each feature on the board color-coded by team. If I have seven teams, I use seven different colors. And each one of those will have a feature on it. And then we can draw the dependencies between the teams based on the color of the tickets. And that's why we call it an inversion because we're taking that x-axis and we're kind of flipping it around and making it kind of the third dimension. The third dimension would be color. 
if we could somehow do it, you know, in 3D, so it popped out of the screen, that would be cool. But we can't do that. So we only have uh, colored to work with. So what you end up with is a bunch of colored tickets that are connected to a bunch of other colored tickets. And each line between each ticket represents a connection. So we organize around the dependency. This is actually one of the things that we can learn from the theory of constraints. It's a way of applying theory of constraints in this way, if you're familiar with theory of constraints. If you say dependencies are a constraint, which you would, you would have to agree, um, if you elevate the dependencies and make the graph about the dependencies and not about time, then what you will see is how the, the dependencies really look without regard for time. So you'll be able to look for things like, for example, if I have a, a preponderance of one color on the board, that means that I have one team that has potentially too many dependencies coming in or out. Mm. If I see that I have features where there are multiple lines coming into a feature, meaning that that feature depends on multiple other features to be complete before it's ready, that's another risky situation because if any one of those break, my feature is not getting done. Similarly, if I have one um, feature, which a number, a large number of modules depend on, if I have, say, four modules pointing at one module, well, that's a risk too, because now I have four things that may not start if one thing doesn't finish. So it, it paints a picture of what the dependencies are without respect to any time contingent. The only thing that matters is the right to left order of dependency. So we, because we are, you know, we are a left to right culture, we organize the dependencies so that the thing most dependent on is furthest to the left. I and see. we use arrows to indicate the direction of the dependency, always moving to the right, meaning that you're pointing at the feature that is waiting. So maybe what we can do is link an example in the description. We can probably take either a sample one we can mock up or we can just scrub a client example or whatever. But uh, um, do we get arrange that? Yeah, that would be that would be really good. This way you give people a nice visualization to think about while they're listening. But basically, uh, just, yeah. just to kind of wrap up the last thought about that, what, yeah. what it turned into was uh, stakeholders looking at the program board and going, oh, my God, what have we done? Right. Once we teased everything apart, we saw that it was actually very reasonable. Yeah. That's and that what made it yeah. right. And what made it look bad was the way we did it. It really wasn't had nothing to do with whether there were too many dependencies. Once we teased it apart and elevated the dependencies as a constraint, we saw the picture of dependency wasn't nearly as bad as it was originally perceived. Right. And, and if I remember correctly, you know, we didn't, we didn't forego the program board. We still used it. We still right. kept it. We still used it. We, this was basically a, an additional thing that we did to help. And we used this in the management review. We looked at right. the management review. We also used it to talk about um, how might they structure teams differently to remove dependencies. Right. Exactly. All, and also what skills might be needed to remove dependencies, right? And how, what, what skills could we focus on, for example? Right, and it's, and it's almost a foregone conclusion for any study, you know, any, uh, any effort put into theory of constraints or kind of lean product management that it behooves an agile release train or an enterprise 
to eliminate as many dependencies as possible because there's an intrinsic risk with every dependency and there's an intrinsic cost. Of course, you can call it waste if you want to call it, you know, from the lean perspective, but we can also just call it cost and, and not have a pejorative around it. But every time work moves from a team to another team, we incur just a little bit of slowdown of our value stream. Right. It makes sense. So, um, so yeah, so just reiterating the applications, right? So one is management review. The other one is right. just helping the teams visualize their dependencies. Another one right. is um, discussing potentially how could we f- change the formulation of teams or and or what skills should we focus on so maybe the next time we do this, we don't have so many dependencies or whatever the case is, right? Right. So, For example, yeah. if I see that a team, if I look at the dependencies alone and I see that a team has a lot of dependencies coming in or out of it, that is a signal that you know that team is incurring an unfair amount of dependency risk right. relative right. to the other teams on the ad release train. That should trigger a kind of need for understanding, not necessarily a change, but definitely a need for understanding how things got that way. Another thing you want to look for is length. You, know, you want to look for, like we said, many inputs and few outputs, many outputs and few inputs. We also want to look for long dependency chains. For example, if I lay out my board and I realize that I have a long chain of uh, dependencies from my first sprint to my fourth sprint, that's an extremely risky thing because now if you blow your first sprint, you've completely blown a whole set of features out of the water. So you always want to have your work done, you know, organized in such a way with well-invested features so that those dependencies are minimized wherever possible. And that's a that's really one of the low-hanging fruit towards improving the efficiency of a value stream is just eliminating those dependencies. And I have an additional tip. One of the metrics I recommended back then, if I if I remember correctly, yes. was um, the, a metric around the WSGIF score and right. the sequence of which they were actually delivered. Mm. And and meaning that the, the this the intent of this metric is let's say we prioritize something right like okay WSGIF rank one through ten right top ten right. yet we we deliver seven, eight, and nine before we deliver one, two, and three as a simple example. Right. Uh, and we can track like which ones we're, we're, we're delivering first, right? Which ones are going to meet the definition of done first, for example, or release first. And we could say, well, why we prioritize it a certain way with the highest, right? right? Highest value with the lowest uh, time to market, right? For example, job duration or whatever. But yet these things couldn't go first or they're, they're delivered out of order. And it's not the order that we would want them in based off of cost of delay. And right. often what you'll find is this issue of dependencies is one of the causes for the, the ability not to be able to deliver in the, in, the, in the manner that the business would like. The other one might be skill sets. And that's also partly dependent. That's also part of that is dependencies, right? So we are dependent on another team because we don't have the skill sets on this team to be able to deliver it. Therefore, we uh, had to, we couldn't pick up this work, right? So let's say a team has uh, capacity in an agile release train, yet they can't work on the things 
as a train in this uh, in the prioritized order, right. and that might be because of a lack of a skill sets, but it also might be for dependencies. So um, that's just an additional metric that you could. It's just a tip that you could track that would go along with um, doing a dependency inversion uh, technique, like you're suggesting. One of one of the, yeah, I know one of the things you can also do as part of an art retrospective for a, an I, an INA workshop might be to go through that exercise and say, hey. You know, when we planned this uh, this PI, what did we think was going to be the order that things were delivered? And what did it turn out to be? And compare that with your understanding of dependencies. And it should be very easy to tell if dependencies were a factor in slowing up the delivery. And, that, and how would you know that? Just by how you said, it would be something that would have a very high WSJF but be delayed because there's some other thing that was perceived of being low value, but because it was an antecedent, it turned out to be, you know, it turned out to be having to be done first anyway. So that's when you see those seven, eights and nines going first means, well, that wasn't too well considered because I can't, you know, dependency trumps priority every time. I can't build things out of order. You can't build the third floor of a house first. It just yeah. doesn't work that way. <laughs> Regardless of how valuable the third floor is. That's right. Uh, it doesn't matter how valuable. Right. You could have everything yeah. there. It does not right. matter. So, no, that's a great point. So that's why I, that, I thought that type of a metric would be complementary. And also, yeah. it's really easy to track that because you just build out a small little couple columns and rows in the Excel sheet, and you can manually track it very easily. Right. Um, so, okay, cool, Mitch. Well, Let's, um, any suggestions, if anyone wanted to read up more about either dependency version, inversion or, uh, you know, lean thinking or any of the things that influence you that some of the readers uh, or listeners might be able to get into, whether that's books, whether that's blog posts, anything you have a suggestion on. All right. Well, my first suggestion, and I think this goes out to all, uh, all people who are involved in any way with SAFE as a methodology would be that there's absolutely nothing in SAFE that's sacred. And I think that that's an important thing for everybody to understand. You know, I've made a very, very good living. I've had a lot of success with SAFE. Part of that success, because as much like yourself, I'm willing to walk away from things that just don't work. And there are some things that just don't work, and this is one of them. And I think it's incumbent upon coaches to discover the things that don't work for them and come up with alternatives to doing so. And the way you do that is you can actually look right within SAFE and take the advice of SAFE. For example, we know how hard it is to estimate duration. Well, cost of delay is a pretty good indicator of importance. Maybe that's the right answer and not WSJF. You know, there's all sort of alternatives that we can look at. There should be nothing, no sacred cows. Please forgive that, uh, but you guys know what I mean. There should be nothing that is considered too sacred not to walk away from. And I would look to um, the Pickler School of Product Management as very fertile ground, uh, both from a product management and a metric standpoint. And I would also uh, highly recommend uh, the goal uh, written by uh, Elia, the late Eliyahu Goldratt. Uh, the inventor and chief evangelist of the theory of constraints. I highly recommend everyone 
involved with any sort of value stream work, uh, at least read the goal. It's a little dated. There's some great YouTube videos that Eliyahu put out. Uh, check them out. It, it is really an eye-opening way of looking at the work that we do. So I would recommend that a lot. Uh, I also just, for a really last thing, uh, if you're using remote tools, we all know that the Agile Manifesto, it says right in there, face-to-face -face conversation. We want to try and have as much face-to-face -face conversation as possible. Use those tools that emulate face-to-face -face conversation to have those important conversations around cost of delay and value. That would be yeah. some Thank good you. advice. Thank you, Mitch. I appreciate that. And my last plug and advice, we have a podcast I'll link in the description where it's called, I did it with Andrew Leff and maybe it was Chris Merman. I couldn't remember. It's a few years ago. And I was, I was working in safe at a client yeah. and I was introducing them to a different way of doing mischief than the way safe does it. And so I talk about that on that podcast we did called prioritization and uh, practical tips and prioritization from the field or something like that. I'll look into the description. Maybe it's time for like unconventional safe channel on. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So uh, just a good, just a reminder, we have a discord, which is absolutely free, which I am on. And I believe Mitch is on. I've seen him on there. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we have a lot of people who just come in and we talk about anything. We have a bunch of channels and you can ask questions. You can say, hey, I tried this or I have a question about this. And it's just a lively community, 100% free. And if you want to interact with the Agile Uprising board members, if you want to interact with Mitch, uh, we're all on there. So I encourage you, and I will link that in the description. So I have a lot of description work to do for this podcast. Um, well, anyway, thank you for your time, Mitch. This was a fun conversation. It's something that I saw you do quite a while ago that I learned uh, you know, working with you. And I hopefully... Um, the audience can, can give it a shot. And uh, and even if you're not using safe, you could still take this and apply it to Absolutely. any kind of software development Absolutely. With where multiple teams are involved, right? So.